Welcome to Talking Melons for 2020, a series of presentations that brings you a range of topics to assist in growing and marketing Australian melons. The presentations are available on the Melons Australia website as a video, a podcast, and as a slide deck. Visit www.melonsaustralia.org.au. I'm Peter Kapitkin. I'm a soil scientist at the University of Queensland. Today I thought it would be useful for us to have a look at the unusual property of charge in soils and think about why is it that this charge is so important in terms of soil fertility. Now when I get my undergraduate students to think about this I often show them this photo here which is taken on the Darling Downs here in Queensland and you can see this soil is a vertisol really heavy clay and I ask them what is it that, about, that is about this soil that makes the plants grow so well. Why is this soil so fertile? And then I show them this other photo. This is a photo taken on Stradbroke Island, also here in Queensland. And so this is a really sandy soil. Now you can see the plants are growing, but they're not having a very easy life. So what is it about the previous soil, this vertisol from the Darling Downs, which makes it so fertile, whereas this sandy soil here on Stradbroke Island the plants really have a difficult life getting through and they're really struggling. And of course, there's multiple answers here. A, a sandy soil will tend to hold less water than the vertisol that we saw in the previous slide. And so this becomes really important in a landscape such as Australia where water is limiting. But there's more to it than that. And what we want to focus on today is that, that the heavier soil, the soil from the Darling Downs, will tend to retain more nutrients than this sandy soil here of Stradbroke Island. And again, there are multiple factors here, but a really important one is charge. A charge within soils enables the soils to retain nutrients, whereas in a sandy soil, which doesn't have much charge, those nutrients will tend to leach through much more easily. So this is what we want to have a think about today, is this charge in soils, why are soils charged, and why it's important. Now, on this photo here from Stradbroke Island, I will also just point out you can see that even though it's a very sandy soil, there is quite a bit of organic matter accumulating within this system. And we're going to talk a bit more about organic matter and its importance in uh, soil charge and soil fertility a little bit later. So I'm going to start by pointing out that soils are charged. Now this is quite an unusual property. When you speak to a, a typical person, they would not realise that actually soils are charged. So this really unusual property but it's very important, as I say, this charge in soils will help retain nutrients and sustain plant productivity. But I'm going to slightly revise my statement. Rather than saying soils are charged, I'm going to revise that and say actually clay, particles and organic matter are charged. And you'll see why that's important as we go through this uh, session today. That actually sand, for example, Sand does not have a charge. Sand does not contribute to the cation exchange capacity in soils. Uh, and so sand is not as important in contributing to soil fertility. So we're going to have a look at first, very briefly, why it is that soil particles are charged. How does this unusual property of soils arise? Now on this image here, there's a lot of different types of clay particles and we don't need to understand what all these different types of clay particles are. But I'll just highlight one here, which is a smectite, which is a shrink and swell clay, just like the one I had on the photo from the Darling Downs in Queensland. And in all of these clay types, you can see that they're negatively charged. 
And there's different types of negative charge and how they arise and they, they're in different parts of the clay particles. And we don't need to worry about that. That's a whole different topic in itself as to how clay particles become charged in the first place. But it's this negative charge within the clay particles themselves which is really important and gives us this cation exchange capacity we're going to have a look at today. And if we look at this in a bit more detail, here we have the clay particle, the clay colloid, which has this negative charge. And this negative charge is important because it attracts cations, hence why it's called a cation exchange capacity, a CEC. And so these negative, this negative charge attracts the cations to the surface where they're retained, they're held like a magnet to that negative charge in your soil. So we have the clay colloid, we have the negative charge, and attracted to, the, to that are these cations, calcium, magnesium, potassium, and sodium. We also have out away from the clay particle, we have what we call the soil solution. And so in the soil solution, these are the nutrients which are available immediately for plant uptake. That's where the action really occurs for the plant. So we have this, we have this system here with a clay particle, which is negatively charged, attracting the cations to that, and then out in the soil solution we have the nutrients which are immediately available for plant uptake. And we're going to see shortly that this is a dynamic system. Things can move around, the nutrients can move. But it's not only the clay particles which are negatively charged and attract cations, actually organic matter is also uh, important when it comes to the cation exchange capacity. And so in this image we can see here, we can see how this organic matter has these negative charges contributing to this cation exchange capacity. So especially in soils where there is a low clay content, organic matter becomes critical in building up the cation exchange capacity, building up this negative charge. So in a really heavy clay soil, organic matter is important in terms of the charge, but the, the clay is probably more important. In a sandy soil where you don't have that clay, the organic matter is critically important in retaining that cation exchange capacity and retaining the ability of the soil to hold on to those nutrients. Of course, organic matter has a whole range of other roles in soils as well, which we're not going to touch on, such as increasing water holding capacity. And so what happens is we see that as uh, a soil gets more and more clay, we see that the cation exchange capacity, the ability of the soil to retain cations, increases. So in a sandy soil, a cation exchange capacity might be in the order of three or four or five centimoles of charge per kilogram. However, in a very heavy clay soil, we might see something about 10 times higher than that, perhaps 40, 50, even 60 centimoles of charge per kilogram. So the more clay that a soil has, the more cations that soil is able to retain. We also see that the higher the organic matter, the more cation exchange capacity there is. And the graph on the right here is an old one, it's from 1971, and I've selected that deliberately because this is something that we've known for a long period of time. This is not anything new. The more organic matter we have in our soil, the higher the cation exchange capacity, the higher the ability of the soil to retain those cations within it. And so why is all of this important? Well, the cation exchange capacity in soils is actually really, really important. First of all, it's a reservoir of plant cationic nutrients, in particular calcium, magnesium, and potassium. And so this cation exchange capacity can retain these nutrients within the soil. 
and importantly, they're held against the leaching action of water. So in other words, as it rains or as you irrigate, these cations are not leached from the soil, rather they're retained, they're held, attracted to that clay or to that organic matter, to the CEC. But it is important to note here that this is a cation exchange capacity, and hence anions will not be attracted to that cation exchange capacity. So for example, that applies to nitrate, which is NO3 minus. As an anion, it is not held to the CEC and is hence readily susceptible to leaching. That all explains uh, very briefly why we see cations differ quite markedly in their behaviour in soils to anions such as nitrate. Cations tend to be retained and held by the CEC. Anions such as nitrate tend to be uh, more mobile within the soil, more susceptible to leaching. Another important thing of this cation exchange capacity is that it, imp that it buffers imposed changes. So as we make changes on our soil, as we make changes to, uh, through management practices or whatever it is we're doing, that that will tend to, uh, the CEC will tend to buffer those changes. Uh, and the final important thing about the cation exchange capacity of this charge is that the ions that are held by this charge are largely available to plants. So calcium, which is held on the cation exchange capacity, can be made available for plant uptake. It's not as though it's held there on the CEC and the plant can never access it. And that's a really important thing to consider, that ions held on the cation exchange capacity are largely available for plant uptake. So, very briefly, what are some characteristics of this cation exchange capacity in soils? The first is that it's reversible. And because it's reversible, that means that if calcium is held on the cation exchange capacity, it can be displaced from the cation exchange capacity, move into the soil solution where the plant can take it up. So they're not permanently attracted to the CEC. You can have nutrient uptake from the CEC by releasing those nutrients into the soil solution for the plant. So it's reversible. It's instantaneous. In fact, it happens faster than we can really measure. So when you add a fertilizer to your soil, those cations within that fertilizer will rapidly move onto the cation exchange capacity where they're gonna be held and retained within your soil. So for example, if you're wanting to increase calcium in your soil, applying calnitrate, gypsum or lime, for example, will increase calcium in your soil and that calcium will be retained on the cation exchange capacity. Uh, similarly, if we apply potassium nitrate, that will in, uh, increase potassium on the cation exchange capacity. So it's instantaneous. As we add fertilizers, those nutrients move on to the cation exchange capacity where they're gonna be held. It's stoichiometric. Now, what I mean by that is that as you apply, for example, calcium, that calcium, which is 2 plus, Ca2 plus, is going to displace two sodiums from the cation exchange capacity. That's because calcium is 2 plus, sodium is 1 plus. So it takes uh, one calcium to replace two sodiums on the cation exchange capacity. And so if you have too much sodium on your CEC and you don't have an appropriate balance of cations on your CEC, we can apply these nutrients such as calcium and it will replace in a stoichiometric manner the nutrients which are already on the cation exchange capacity. The final thing to note here is that the cation exchange capacity has selectivity. And that is that some nutrients are held more strongly on the CEC than others. And the best example here is that calcium is held more strongly than sodium the higher the charge of the nutrient, the more strongly it is retained. So calcium is two plus, 
is retained more strongly than is sodium because it's one plus. In a similar manner, magnesium, which is two plus, is held more strongly than potassium because it's one plus. So the higher the valency, the more strongly that the cation is retained on the cation exchange capacity. So what are some of the implications of all of this information? Soils with a higher clay content or soils with a higher organic matter content will generally have a higher cation exchange capacity. Generally, if the organic matter content can be increased, it will retain the ability of your soil to retain these nutrients such as calcium, magnesium and potassium. And these are important in building up soil fertility. So that leads us to a bit of a question. Is it possible that I can increase the organic matter content of my soil in order to increase the cation exchange capacity? Well, yes, it is possible. Generally speaking, if you increase your organic matter content of your soil, your cation exchange capacity will also increase and hence uh, in build up the capacity of your soil to retain cations within it. However, this is actually really hard to do. In fact, we know that in most agricultural systems, that by cropping the soils, we actually decrease organic matter by a lot. So in typically here in Australia, when we start cropping soils compared to a native ecosystem, a soil with a native vegetation, by cropping the soil, we lose 30, 40, 50, 60% of the organic matter from that soil. So actually in most agricultural systems, it's very difficult to build up organic matter because we've decreased it by a lot to start with. And so that's the first thing. The second point here, here is that building up soil organic matter is especially difficult for sandy or light textured soils. And that's because the clay particles within a soil, not only do those clay particles have a negative charge, but those clay particles actually help protect organic matter by binding it strongly and preventing the microorganisms from uh, breaking it down. And so not only is it difficult to build up organic matter in soils, but it's especially difficult on sandy or light textured soils uh, because of the difficulty these soils have in retaining that organic matter. As a result, it is very difficult on a cropping soil that is light textured to build up that organic matter uh, and build up your cation exchange capacity. It's not impossible, but certainly a very difficult thing to do. And this is a graph here just illustrating this point. This shows how for when you take a soil from a native uh, ecosystem and you convert it into cropping, the amount of carbon, the amount of organic matter within your soil decreases in the order of 40, 50 or 60 percent on average. Now whilst we can build that up by applying organic amendments, as we can see on the far right hand side of this diagram, we generally can't build it up as much as we see for a native ecosystem. In other words, the decrease we cause in organic matter tends to be greater than we can build back up even if we are applying organic amendments. So to summarise, there's some important points here. The first is that soils are charged and that is a really unusual property that most people don't understand. That the soils that you can hold in your hand actually have a negative charge. This negative charge is a critical property of soils that enables them to retain cationic nutrients such as potassium, magnesium or calcium. The charge in soils depends upon its clay content and composition of clay and that's relatively constant within soils. You can't really change your clay content or the type of clay that you have. But it also depends upon organic matter. 
And organic matter is somewhat variable within soils. It's not constant forever. Organic matter can decrease, as we see typically in cropping systems, but there is capacity potentially to build that organic matter up and hence build up the fertility of your soil with it. This cation exchange capacity is critical in soil fertility as it's able to supply these cationic nutrients such as calcium, magnesium and potassium. It is possible to add nutrients such as calcium, magnesium, potassium into soils in fertilizers, for example, through cal nitrate, and these will be retained on the cation exchange capacity. In other words, this is a dynamic system that we can manage and modify according to our needs. Cropping causes the long-term marked decrease in soil organic matter. So soil organic matter worldwide is decreasing in cropping systems. And although increasing soil organic matter helps build soil fertility, it's generally difficult to increase soil organic matter in cropping systems, especially in sandy soils. Thank you very much. Thank you.